Well, welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. We're uh, in a series right now that we call Foolproof, and uh, we're talking about wisdom. And uh, as we've had this conversation the last couple weekends, uh, what we've said is, so far in a nutshell is this, that wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is more than parameters or boundaries. So it's not just moral constraints. It's not just information. It's the blending of those things together in real time, in real life. So we've said that wisdom is the skill of living. And a lot of times when we think about our relationship with God, when we ask God for things, what we often ask him for is the tyranny of the urgent. God, if you would make this go away or cause this to change. And it's not the way that God works. It's not the way that life works. Life is going to be up and down and in and out. And God kind of looks and says, I'll give you something greater than just a, a change in circumstances. I'll give you the ability to navigate those circumstances. I'll open up my heart and my mind to you. Uh, if anybody lacks wisdom, you can ask generously. I'll give it to you without finding fault, not upset that you don't know already. Uh, and I want to pour those things out for you. But we said that in order to have that wisdom, we have to go get it. That's what Solomon said to his sons in the book of Proverbs, that you need to get wisdom, you need to pursue it. So in order to get wisdom, we, we don't climb a mountain and ring a bell and you know, wait for some kind of download from God. We learn God's word, we interact with God's people, and we pick up the information and the knowledge and then blend that all together, this great skill for living. And then we said last weekend that when, when you come to your spiritual life, there's actually no such thing as neutral, right? Uh, so there's no such thing as neutral because we have within us something that the Bible calls our sin nature. So as a human being, I'm naturally a sinner. Nobody ever taught you to tell a lie. Nobody ever taught you to be selfish. Like we do all that stuff on our own. So if I have the mindset that I'm standing neutral, I'm actually not. I will actually be pulling away or drifting away from God. So if I'm not getting wisdom, if I'm not pursuing wisdom and pursuing the heart and mind of God, I will by default drift away from it into what the Bible calls foolishness or folly. And the Bible says that there's three levels of kind of foolishness or folly. The Bible personifies uh, those types of people with a name. So the first level the Bible calls the simple the simple just don't know and just don't have experience. And so the solution to being simple is to get wisdom, to find out, to get experience, to learn from those who know or the scripture who knows, and, and that will cause you not to be simple. If you reject that or don't do that, you'll drift kind of deeper into folly and to the next level that the Bible calls the fool. And the fool is one who knows but doesn't care. They know, but they don't care. And so they, they'll just ignore wisdom. It's, you know, it's college. I'm just going to live this way. And they'll just walk away from it. And the Bible says that the solution to foolishness is to get wisdom. That wisdom will interrupt that path if you'll let it. And, but if you don't, you'll keep drifting. And then the, kind of the darkest level of that is what the Bible calls the mocker. And the mocker is the one who calls, calls wisdom foolishness. Wisdom is foolishness and the mocker has a closed mind and a hard heart and it's a very dangerous place to be. People can come back from being a mocker but they usually have to hit what we usually call rock bottom, right? Something has to like break in their lives or they'll finally be jostled awake and realize I don't wanna live this way, I don't wanna be this way and they'll make a, a deep, deep change. So in order to avoid all of that, the antidote is to pursue wisdom, right? And to get wisdom and to live by wisdom and to receive from God his heart and his mind so that we can live differently. 
Now this weekend, what I wanna do with you guys is I wanna, I wanna help you grab something that Proverbs calls discernment, discernment. In Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven, what Solomon does is he lays out the purpose of the Proverbs. And he says, sons, uh, this is what it's for. It's to help you think. It's to help you see right from wrong. It's to, it's to help you navigate the parables and the sayings of our time. And then he says this, it, the Proverbs are there to give you discernment and that discernment will guide you through life. So discernment is the ability to kind of filter what's coming at us, right? So we live in the information age. And by the way, it's a wonderful time to live. Don't hear me be uh, critical of it. I'm really glad that we don't live in the agricultural age because I don't like to sweat or get blisters, so, right? So uh, we don't live in the industrial age. We live in the information age. And there's wonderful things about being able to kind of Google anything and find out the information about it. And then like everything, there's always like an Achilles heel to it, right? There's always kind of a, another side. And, and here's the other side of the information age. Uh, for people who did not grow up in the information age, the only way to find other opinions was to go get them. So if you grew up in your home, you had an opinion and, and you were, those opinions were expressed to you and maybe you would go to church and, and the church would teach you the Bible or, or just teach it and they would express a different opinion. And then if you wanted more opinions, uh, you might go to school and a teacher or later on a professor would, would give you a new insight or a different opinion. Or maybe you'd pick up a, a printed copy of a book or maybe you would pick up, they used to have these things called newspapers that they would print on paper and you would buy. And, and, and so you would, but if you wanted more opinions, you really had to kind of work at it. You had to go to the library and get these opinions. Well, the information age has changed all that. If you want information, if you want opinions, all you gotta do is look at your phone, right? And so we live in a time where there are thousands and thousands of opinions that come at us every day. Uh, you'll, you'll get on your phone, you'll look at Twitter, and there'll be opinions about what's going on around you. You'll look at Snapchat, and there'll be a, a storyline of opinions. If you're an old person, you'll look at Facebook, and, and you'll get, um, I know, you guys thought you were cool, but you're so not, right? So you'll get, you'll get these opinions of what's going on. And and it's a, it's, a, it's a different time. There's never really been a time like this in history. Some of that is great because you get insights and information that you would never would have had and it kind of rounds out your thinking. Uh, others of it is confusing because you look and say, well, they're so strong about their opinion and their argument seems so like logical and correct. And then I read this guy and they have a completely different opinion and their argument is logical and correct. And who are you supposed to believe? How do you filter all that? Now, this is what happens. Because we have so many opinions coming at us, this is what the temptation is. The temptation is to only trust your opinion, right? So this guy is saying all these things, and this guy is saying all these things, and this guy's doing this, and the pastor says this, and the politician says this, and blah, blah, blah. And the, the temptation is that I'm going to take bits and pieces of this I'm going to form my own opinion and I'm going to do what Proverbs calls, I'm going to lean into my own understanding, right? I'm gonna trust my truth or my opinion and that's gonna be then what governs my life and puts a pathway out in my life, right? So the question becomes, is my opinion right or wrong? Is their opinion right or wrong? How do I discern what is smart, what is godly, what is good, what is bad? How do I get a hold of that? 
Now the way that God ad- addresses this in the scripture is he boils all of that down to two streams of wisdom. God says there's two streams of wisdom. There's godly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom. And every opinion and every truth is rooted in one of those two streams of wisdom. And what God says is this. He said in order to to decide whether you should trust that information, what you should do is discern where that information originated from. What stream of wisdom did that come from? So let me show you this. Grab your Bibles and go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And God talks about wisdom all through the Bible, so we're going we're gonna to step out of Proverbs here for a little bit this weekend and go to James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, starting with verse 13, if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in your chairs. It's page 848 in those Bibles. And if you want to use the Grace Church app, you can do that or hit, uh, look at, um, go to the App Store and go to Grace Ohio and you can find the app there and download it for free. James chapter 3, page 448, this is what the Apostle James says. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, in quotes in the Bible, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And James is talking about how do we discern what's coming at us. Now, let me build out kind of the framework of, of the culture that James is talking in here. So James is the, is the half-brother of Jesus, right? So uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. So Mary was also James's, after Jesus was born, Mary married Joseph and they had more kids, okay? So James would be Jesus's half-brother. Joseph was his dad. And he was one of the apostles. And he was helping to get the early church established and was being used by the Holy Spirit to write the scripture. But James, when he wrote this letter, he wrote it in a very specific time in history. The book of James is written to first generation Christians. So these are Jewish people who converted to Christianity at the day of Pentecost and and it all kind of happened in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. After that all happened, the Bible says that, and history tells us, that a persecution broke out. So when when these people converted to Christianity, they they ticked two very powerful groups of people off. They, They ticked off the ancient Jewish leadership. These are the guys that were crying and pushing for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then they ticked off the Roman government. So the Roman government also viewed Christianity as kind of a threat because they viewed it as a sect that was, that was fighting for power. So this persecution broke out and these Jewish people had to f- scatter all over the place. The book of James is, is written to the 12 tribes, to the converted Jews who scattered running for safety. This persecution was a violent persecution. So it was everything from we don't do business at your store anymore because you're not an ancient Jewish person to we're gonna burn your house down, we're gonna execute your dad, we're gonna kill your son, those kind of things. And the whole gamut of persecution was happening. 
as these people scatter, James then is trying to help them know how to navigate through these circumstances the way that Christ would navigate through them. And he comes to this idea of wisdom and he addresses this because what had happened was within this group, two main schools of thought arose about how to respond to this persecution. One school of thought was this. This was within the church. One school of thought was this. We ought to defend ourselves. Uh, we ought to get knives and spears and guns and an AR-15. And like we ought, to, we ought to defend ourselves because they're attacking us. When they come to attack us, to burn our home, to persecute us, we ought to fight back. Uh, we have the right to do that. It's self-defense. So they, they burn our house down. We ought to burn their house down. They, they killed one of us. We ought to kill two of them. And there was this, this arm of saying, listen, we're, we're defenseless and we need to protect ourselves. And in that time and in that place, that made a lot of sense. So people were weighing that. Should we join kind of that militant arm and defend ourselves? The other major teaching was this. The teachers would stand up and people say, what do we do about this persecution? And the teachers would stand up and say, hey, listen, Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He never defended himself. Uh, he turned the other cheek. He never answered his accuser. Uh, he told us to love our enemies as ourselves. He told us to expect this persecution. There's nothing surprising happening here. And so you had these two schools of thought and they were kind of opposed to each other. And James comes in, he's addressing this in his letter and in verse 13, that's why he asked this question. Uh, he, sa he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Who should you listen to? There's these opinions coming at you. How do you know that they represent God? Because this guy's making an argument from the Bible. You know, in the Old Testament, they went and wiped everybody out in Jericho. And then this guy's making an argument from the Bible. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Who are you supposed to listen to? How do you know what stream of wisdom these thoughts originated in? So what James starts to do is he starts to define and talk to us about how, uh, how, how to recognize the stream of godly wisdom versus the stream of earthly wisdom, right? And he starts to look at that. So look at the scripture with me. He says this, who's wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So James would start to say this. I put this in your notes. Let's talk first about godly wisdom. He said, how do you know what's godly, what's earthly? He says this. In essence, he says this. Godly wisdom is going to be transferred gently and selflessly. So I'm looking at where did this truth originate from? Where did this idea originate from? Godly wisdom is gonna be transferred gently and selflessly. How do I know if they're wise and understanding? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. So first of all, I'm going to look at the person who is saying what they're saying. And if their life is defined by good deeds or righteousness and there's a gentleness to their tone and there's a humility, what they're saying, they're saying for others' benefit, not their own benefit then I'm gonna to start to dial into that person. I'm gonna discern where they're at and I'm gonna look at that and if I hear gentleness and I see humility and I see righteousness, 
they're gonna get more of an audience when it comes to what I listen to and what I think, all right? And then what he does, he says, so tune into that. What do they sound like? What are they saying and why are they saying it? And then he goes on and he says in verse 17, this is what this wisdom will look like. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, he starts to define it, is first of all pure. It's pure. Now in this context, what that word pure means is this. This is the way that we would describe it. That wisdom is gonna sound gentle, it's gonna be selfless, and it's going to be scriptural. It's going to be biblical. It's not going to be tainted with earthly wisdom or cultural wisdom, right? So things like this. If somebody looks at you and they say things like, you know, God helps those who help themselves, you would look back and say, that's actually not in the Bible anywhere, right? You need to believe in yourself, and if you had enough self-esteem, you would be happy. That's weird, because the Bible specifically says I'm to die to myself and find all my esteem through Christ's value of me. Hmm. It's not pure. It's not straight from Scripture. It might have a nationalist tone. God bless America. America is God's shining light on a hill. If we don't have a strong America, then the word of God can't be presented across the world. That's really weird, because when Jesus was on earth, there was no America. It's fascinating, right? So there's a purity. And as I'm listening to how it's coming, and I'm understanding what they're doing, and I'm looking at the life of the one presenting it, I'm asking, are you when you go to answer my problem, when you go to help me navigate through life, are you giving me true scripture? Are you answering, whether it fits into the cultural context or not, are you using the scripture correctly? Are you giving me the scripture correctly? Is what you're saying aligning with the Bible or is aligning with all this other stuff? Is there a purity to what's being said? And then James goes on. First of all, it's pure and then it's peace-loving. It's peace-loving. When someone gives you an answer to a problem or they wanna give you advice about how to navigate through a circumstance, are they giving you counsel that is peace-loving? In this context, peace-loving means this. Peace-loving would be a non-violent answer to a cultural frustration. Catch that? It's a non-violent answer to a cultural frustration. They burned our house down. You know what we ought to do? We gotta burn their house down. That's not peace-loving. They, they, they hit us, you know what, they took two of us out, we should take four of them out. Well, that's not peace-loving. So is it wise? Is that what God would say? Is that how Christ responded? Is, is it in sync with the word of God, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that what happened should be ignored. It doesn't mean that what is going on doesn't need to change. Don't hear that incorrectly right? Because all of these guys in this context were identifying the right problem. How we get, to, it's not the circumstance, how we get to that, how do we navigate through it? And James says, it, you listen, look at the person who's saying it, and then it's got to be from scripture, and it's going to be defined as peace-loving. It's not a violent solution to a cultural frustration. He goes on, it's going to be pure, it's going to be peace-loving, and then it's going to be considerate. The counsel that you get is going to be considerate. This is what considerate means. 
Consider it means this, that there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all solution. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all solution. And we'll, we'll give, I'll do this in a cultural example because it's a little easier for us to get a hold of. So there's no such thing as a bumper sticker solution to cultural ills. So if you start hearing bumper sticker solution to cultural ills, you're not hearing godly wisdom. You know what, you know what the problem with the cities are? What's the problem with the cities? They need education. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, you're probably right. People need education. And I'll tell you something. People who live down there, they, they need to get their act together. They have the same opportunities we do. I got a school, they got a school. I got a teacher, they got a teacher. You don't see me selling drugs and joining gangs and being violent, do you? If they get their rear ends in school and get an education, they wouldn't be in the mess they're in. Ooh, really? Because that solution sounds very different to a kid in the inner city who does not know who their father is, who their mother may or may not be around and is desperately trying to hold on, who lives in a neighborhood where there are no jobs. Won't you get out and get a job? Find one. Find one. See? Uh, where you go to a violent school where the, the gangs rule the school, the teachers don't. Joining a gang is not something that you do for fun, it's something that you do for survival. When you go to school, if you excel, you might get a violent response to that. It's not like other schools where the nerds like math. No, 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 there's a violent response to that. And we're selling drugs is as normal to them as it might be to you going out and mowing your neighbor's grass for 10 bucks. So that solution is not a wise solution. Now, is the problem real? Yes. Do we need to deal with the violence? Yes. The drug, yes. The, the education, oh, a- absolutely. The outcome is correct. But how do I navigate the circumstances? Wisdom, godly wisdom is considerate. It looks at the person it looks at the people and says, Let, let's work this through and understand it. Now, you can personalize this. You know what the alcoholic's problem is? They need to quit drinking. You need to stop it. Stop it. Right? Well, that, is that correct? Yeah, the outcome's correct. Is that going to work? Do you think that alcoholics tried to stop it? They need to stop it. Right? Well, you need to stop some things. You're overweight. Lose weight. Well, suddenly it's not as easy as that, is it? Suddenly there's things going on. Suddenly there's a path that needs to be developed. Suddenly there's more issues than just getting your act together, right? You need to, you have an anger problem. You need to stop being angry. Stop it. That solution is not a wise solution. It's actually not a solution at all. It's more of a statement wisdom is going to look at that problem. We're going to look and say, this problem actually needs to be solved. But I'm going to love you, I'm going to interact with you, and I'm going to be considerate as I give you counsel, as we walk through these things. I'm going to take you to the place we need to go because God's word doesn't let that be up for grabs. But how we get from point A to point B That's wisdom that's brought to bear. And the Bible says that godly wisdom is considerate. It thinks about the person or the people that need to bring about change. James goes on. It comes from heaven. It's pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's submissive. Submissive is is this idea. 
that I wanna be part of the solution, I don't wanna just reiterate the problem. I wanna be part of the solution, I don't wanna just reiterate the problem. I'm gonna lay down my rights, that's what submissive means. I'm gonna lay down my rights, give the best of myself to you, that's what submissive means, to be part of the solution, not just to reiterate the problem. Let me give you a little marriage counsel. Okay, here you go, here you go, all you married people. Everybody who's been married for more than 10 minutes has the same problem. This will be a relief to all of you. Your marriage is normal. So everybody who's been married more than 10 minutes, it starts at the reception. Everybody who's been married for more than 10 minutes has the same problem. Every marriage has at least one issue, right? And that issue is the issue that you fight about all the time. It's not just you, it's every marriage. Every marriage has got an issue. And you go back to that issue all the time. If you've been married 10 years, you've been fighting about that issue for 10 years. You've been married for 20 years, 20 years, 70 years, same issue, right? So you go back to that issue all the time. It could be money, it could be tone, it could be sex, it could be the toothpaste on the counter. doesn't matter. Every marriage has an issue, right? How do we get past this issue? How do we deal with this issue, right? I'm gonna deal with that issue in a submissive way, which means I wanna be a part of the solution. I'm gonna offer myself as a part of the solution. I'm not just gonna reiterate the problem. What most people do is they reiterate the problem. Toothpaste is out again. It's out again. You squeeze from the middle, you didn't squeeze from the bottom. <laughs> well, you raised in a barn, right? It's not how you do it. Right? That, starts the, that starts the night after the, the, the wedding night. Right? It just starts immediately the next morning. Right? So all of a sudden you've got this issue. And you go toothpaste out again. And then you fight about the issue. And we're not going to fight about it. And then you get in a fight about the issue. And not only do you fight about the issue, you, you reemphasize the issue with more volume. Well, you talk that way, but the, the toothpaste. Right? You quit using complete sentences. The toothpaste. Toothpaste. Right? And you go back to it again. And then you keep a record of wrong of the issues. Well, at least the toothpaste, and in 2004, March, toothpaste was out. You start keeping count. We, we haven't had toothpaste for six weeks, right? You reiterate the issue, reiterate the issue, reiterate the issue. Inner city, psh, politics, psh, Middle East, mm, right? Wisdom that's submissive says, we're gonna identify the correct issue. This has nothing to do with enabling people. We're gonna identify the issue. We're gonna think through a wise solution and move from point A to point B. And that wisdom, if it's godly wisdom, will be submissive. And I offer myself. I offer myself as part of the solution. Sweetie, do you want me to remind you of the toothpaste? She probably won't. Sweetie, you want me to like just put the toothpaste away for you every day? Right? I'm going to offer myself as a part of the solution. And if, that answer, if that's not coming in, James says, well, that's not godly wisdom. Godly, ungodly wisdom, earthly wisdom just reiterates the problem. You know what's wrong with this country? Right? It just reiterates the problem. Godly wisdom is submissive. It offers themselves as part of the solution. Next it's pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, full of mercy and good fruit. This is the way this works. Godly wisdom, the answer, the advice, the opinion is going to be full of mercy and good fruit. We're going to identify the problem, the problem's a real problem, the problem's got to change. But I'm going to be full of mercy, which means this, 
I'm willing to sacrifice in order to change the environment. You know, we got a homeless problem. They, they, they're moved in and they're taking over the park. And they, now the kids can't play in the park because there's a bunch of homeless people and who knows what they're going to run into. But what are we going to do? Homeless. We ought to arrest them for being homeless because that'll help a lot. Homeless. Right? Reiterate the problem. Or full of mercy and good deeds. You know what? Why don't we work at creating um, a solution for the homeless? We could create a homeless shelter. You know what? I'll give to it. I'll help to build it. Uh, what if we had some job training programs? You know what? I, if that's the problem, then I'm willing to help mentor. If it's an education problem, well, this guy's homeless because he can't read. I'm, I'm willing to do that. This person's homeless because they have mental health issues. You know what? Uh, let, let's see if we can help them get to a place, right? Personally, you know, my, 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 my sister's crazy. She's crazy, right? Well, what are we going to do about that? Are we just going to walk around and complain about her? Are we going to talk about her on code and social media? Or is there mercy and good deeds? Is there a way that I can sacrifice? I'm willing to sacrifice I'm willing to do these good things to move this problem along in a different way, right? So James says godly wisdom will, have, will be defined in those ways. When someone offers themselves and, and offers a path of outcome, I should listen to them. When I'm considering what opinion or direction I would take, I should, I should hear that in my own voice. He goes on. It is pure, it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good deeds, impartial and sincere. Another way to, to translate that from the Greek language would be the word unwavering. I actually like that translation better. That, that godly wisdom is unwavering, and this is an important thing. Wisdom and applying wisdom to a solution is not enabling people. Sometimes the reason why we get so strong and so loud about something is because we're afraid to give ground because we look and say, well, we're right. This has to stop. This has to change. That person's unethical. We can't trust them. And you're right about that. You've identified the issue correctly. Wisdom will apply all these. How do we navigate through this? Our marriage has to change. He cannot do this anymore. She has to be different. It cannot. Our, my friend is going to throw their life away. They have to stop it. Great. Wisdom brings all these different solutions based on everything we talked about, and then it's, it's unwavering. Listen, I, I love you. I am, not, I am not backing off this issue. I am not backing off our friendship. I am not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Right? I'm going to go through this with you. This is how Christ interacts with us. He's unwavering. He's impartial. He's sincere. God looks and says, yeah, you're a sinner. Sinner. Right? You're going to go to hell because you won't repent of your sin. I'm unwavering. I'm impartial. Right? It's, it's just the way that it is. However, with, with, I'm going to pursue you. I'm submissive, I'm considerate, I'm a peacemaker. I don't want to be at war with you. Enmity is the Bible word. I don't want to be at war with you. I want to be at peace with you. I want you to be my friend, not my enemy. I want to give all that to you. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to sacrifice myself. But you repenting of your sin is not an option. 
You must do that. You must quit drinking. You must be faithful to this marriage. You, you must stop this. You, you, you must. See, it's an unwavering. But how do we get to that point of change? Well, it's going to be earthly or it's going to be godly, right? So that's godly wisdom. James defines it. He takes a long time, but he defines it. He says, listen, this is what, it's, first of all, it's going to sound gentle. It, it's going to sound under control. It's going to be, it's going to be hu- humble. Not somebody getting up, beating their chest, saying, I know the answer, and I alone in the solution, right? Not that. It's going to sound gentle. It's going to sound under control. And, and, and then it's going to be selfless. I have an idea, I have an opinion, I have a path, and I'm willing, I will walk it with you, right? But we have to move forward. Now what James does then is he does that, and then he talks about earthly wisdom. That's the other stream of wisdom. And basically what he does is he, he, he would maybe say this if he was here this weekend, he would say, listen, once you know what godly wisdom is, earthly wisdom sticks out like a sore thumb, once you, know, once you know what godly wisdom sounds like, it's really easy to pick up on earthly wisdom. And so he starts to define that. Uh, and he says this in verse 14, but if, if, if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. The Bible says that earthly wisdom is transferred that way. Earthly wisdom is going to be transferred harshly with a self-centered agenda. It's going to be transferred harshly with a self-centered agenda. That's bitter envy and selfish ambition. This this is a way that you can start to dial in and discern the voices that are all around you, okay? This is what I've noticed. When someone is on the path of foolishness, the more they become a fool, when they move from simple to fool to mocker, the more that they become a fool, the deeper they become when they finally become a mocker, the more they become that, the louder they will become. The, the mocker is always loud. And the further down that path, the volume will amp up. And so there's a harshness to it. There's the simple that says, oh, I didn't know. And you tell them, there's a fool. They're, they're proud. They're proud of their foolishness. Woohoo! let's get trashed, right? They're always loud. They're proud of their foolishness. The mocker is very vehemently opposed to wisdom and will be very loud about that. Right? So when I, I'm going to dial into that. The, the person who's wise, there's a gentleness, there's a humility, they're a really good person, maybe I should trust them. The person who, who's unwise, who who's, has earthly wisdom, they're going to be loud, they're going to be mad, they're going to be obnoxious, and, and I can dial into what that sounds like. And then James says this. He said that person, that bitterness and that selfish ambition, wherever you find that, there you're going to find disorder and every evil practice. So when I look at someone who has godly wisdom, I find a good life and righteousness and humility. When I look at someone who's pr- uh, promoting earthly wisdom, I'm gonna, it's going to be loud, it's going to be harsh, and it's going to be disorderly and evil practice. You're going to look at them and say, your life is a wreck. Your solution is a riot. Your solution is, is anarchy. Your solution is insane. And you can look at that on a global level. You look at like a, an ISIS and all the chaos in the Middle East. What do you see when you see that? You see chaos.
chaos. You see, you see cities crumbled. You see things burned to the ground. It's disorderly. It's destroyed. It's chaos. Uh, what do you see when, when you see someone and, and they're re- giving, returning violence for violence? You, you see them burning the city down, right? You see them destroying things. You didn't see that when, when Martin Luther King was leading a protest. You saw, you saw nonviolence. You saw a statement. You saw that it was unwavering. You saw people who were convicted. And, and then you saw real deep change. It's very different than like smash the windows because they're smashable, right? And James says you, wherever you see that, that's earthly wisdom. It's unspiritual, it's earthly, it's even demonic. And you'll see disorder. And you can pull that into your family room. Your mama gonna have all kinds of opinions about your marriage. Mamas do. She's gonna have all kinds of opinions about your marriage. And she might look at you and, and your mama might be humble and gentle and have a godly life and she might look at you and say, honey, you really think through that relationship with that girl because mama sees stuff, mama knows. Mama might look at your girl and she might say, that girl ain't good enough for you. Not for my baby, right? And you might look back at your mama and be like, mom, your relationships are disasters, right? I appreciate that you love me, but you're on your fourth marriage. You, you burn everything. You're, you have disorder. I don't want to listen to that counsel. Your daddy going to have opinions about your life. Right? You know what you ought to do? You got to fight the man. Stand against the system, son. Don't let him press you down. And you might look at your daddy and say, Daddy, you never held a job for more than like two years. I want to do something with my life. Don't be controlled. All right. I was watching a documentary the other day. A guy was living in an abandoned house. And he goes, I found, I'm free. I do whatever I want every day. If I want to smoke pot, I smoke pot. If I want to walk around, I walk around. And then I go back to my house that has no water or electricity. I'm like, you, you're living the American dream, man, right? It's like, okay. See, I'm looking for disorder, okay? Now, James says it's gonna, it's gonna be harsh. It's gonna be self-centered. It's gonna selfish ambition, vain, uh, uh, envy. It's going to have disorder and every evil practice. Evil practice is lawlessness. Evil practice is violence. Evil practice is deception. Evil practice is immorality. So all of a sudden, celebrity so-and-so stands up and they got an opinion. I'm going to look at their opinion. I'm going to look at them. I'm going to be like, really? You don't even know how many kids you have. You're with a different woman all the time. You're proud of it. I listen to the words of your song. Right? Why would I listen to you? Politician so-and-so is going to stand up and they're going to have an opinion. And you look at their life and what you find is evil practices. They're a liar. They're greeny. They're immoral. They're da 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 And, they're, and you're, you're going to, I'm going to stand behind you? Tie my credibility to yours? Somebody's going to stand up and say, you know, if you, really, if you really want to make it in life, you need to do this or you need to think this way. And you can step back and say, wow, my professor's saying that. They're really ticked off. 
They're, they're not even weighing options. In fact, they think because I trust the scripture that I'm the idiot. Well, I look at their life. See? And this is what James is saying. He's like, these things only come from two places. And godly wisdom will have these marks to it. And godly wisdom, it may be new information, it may be a different direction, it may be something you never thought of before. But it's pure, it will line up with God's word, and there's all these other things that are part of it. Earthly wisdom, it's always gonna look like this. It, it, it's all, it's gonna, there's gonna be a harshness to it, there, there, there's gonna be an aggressiveness to it, and it's gonna have disorder, look at their lives. It's gonna have disorder, it's gonna have chaos, it's gonna be out of sync with scripture. And then, and then you look at that and you realize, well, those ideas are coming from one of those streams, and how do I lock into it, okay? Now, let me try to give you a takeaway with this because it's a lot to download. So th- this is what we have to ask ourselves this weekend. We have to say this. Is my life, if I looked at my life and tried to look at it honestly, don't fill in somebody else's name to this blank. This is my life, your life, right? When I look at my life and I look at it honestly, is my life governed by earthly wisdom or by godly wisdom? At its very core, is it governed by earthly wisdom or godly wisdom? And, and we've been saying this as, as we look at this wisdom. To get wisdom, to attain wisdom, it takes patience and persistence. It takes humility. We, we often call humility teachability. In other words, I don't lean into my own understanding. In all my ways, I acknowledge God, and he directs my paths. And it takes God's work in my life. And guys, this is a place that God, you have to let God work. Because I'm gonna look at my life, and I wanna, go, I wanna figure out, is it governed by godly wisdom, or is it governed by earthly wisdom? And in order to really understand that, what happens is I have to get down to the very core of what I believe. If you're a follower of Christ, it means the Holy Spirit has to reveal that to you. If you're not a follower of Christ, it means you have to be deeply honest about your operating system. Because we, if we don't let our hearts be transformed and our minds renewed, then we will never get to the governing systems of our lives. This is what'll happen. I'll give you an example of this. If you're, uh, I'll pick on fellas and I'll pick on girls here in a minute, all right? So fellas, this is what happens. Somewhere uh, in our life, this is the way human beings work, somewhere along the path of our life, you heard a bit of information, somehow that information clicked into something you decided to believe and that belief has governed your life. It's the way that we work as human beings. So somewhere along your, your life, you, you got a bit of information that girls are awesome, right? About 12, 13, that all changes. Girls are awesome, and sex is phenomenal. So if I really want to, to be happy and be a man, what I should do is, is I should have sex, and the more the better with whoever's willing and whoever's willing, and that's what I want to do. And at the very core of who you are, you being sexual, you decided is a huge part of who you are, right? It's a bit, bit of information that you locked onto and it, it de- defined as truth. So your sexuality and you being sexual is a core part of who you are, which is interesting because God would look at it very differently. So you would look and say, I'm a sexual creature. And this is what it happens, right? So we're having sex with anybody and everybody. You bump into Christ 
maybe you've accepted Christ as your savior and you still have that mindset and then you were exposed to different truth. God wants you to have parameters on your, on your morality. Sex is between a, a married, uh, uh, two married people, a man and a woman, and a New Testament marriage. That's, that's all that sex is there for. Oh, got it. So this is what happens. If you're not careful, even though you have that core belief, you won't address the core belief. What you'll do is you'll address the outcome of the core belief. I'm gonna quit having sex with anybody and everybody. I only have physical sex with my wife now, but I still have this core belief that my sexuality is the main driver of my life. So I'll quit sleeping around, I'll just look at porn. I quit sleeping around, but I'll look at, you know, the, the, the most uh, vivid pornographic movie you own is your memory. So I'll just, I'll just have lustful thoughts all the time. And I'll, I'll look at every woman, I won't touch her, but I'll process her sexually. And I, I'll look at my own wife, and, and the health of our marriage is gonna be based on the activity of our sex life. Why? Because at the very core, I have this thing that I've accepted as a truth that's not a truth at all. And it came from a stream of earthly wisdom. And if I don't address that truth, I'm gonna define whether my wife is a great wife or not based on our sex life. I'm gonna define whether I'm happy or not based on my sex life. I'm gonna define whether I'm a man or not based on whether I can have sex or not. And if I don't allow God to come in and say, God, will you, at its core, will you root out that false teaching in my life and not just pull that out, but replace it with godly wisdom, which says that the core of who I am is I'm a son of God. And the core of my fulfillment is me following God. And the core purpose of my marriage is not us having sex. The core purpose of our marriage is me and her representing Christ to the world around us. It totally changes everything. If I just clean up the symptoms, I will never be a different person. Now ladies, same thing happens with you, right? So you, somewhere along the line, when you were a little girl, you might've bought a lie. And this is the lie, it comes from earthly wisdom. This is the lie. The lie is that someday your prince will come. You watched a Disney movie, they sang that, Disney lies, they lie. They lie about all kinds of things, right? So someday my prince will come and you, you heard that information, you grabbed it as a truth and now it's in you. And that truth has been driving you so when you went out to, to find a husband, you weren't looking for, for godly characters necessarily, you were looking for a prince, somebody who was gonna make you happy and never make you feel pain again. Because if you could find your prince, you would live happily ever after. Lie. Well, this is what happens. You think you found your prince, you had a princess wedding, you had your wedding night, he woke up that morning, your prince got bad breath. Now he's bald. And so you have this mindset. My marriage is not what it's supposed to be. We're drifting apart. I put up walls. I'm disillusioned. I'm frustrated. I cut him off emotionally. I cut him off of the bedroom every way. I'm frustrated. Why? Because if he was the prince he was supposed to be, I would live the life of a princess. That's all false. You run into Christ, 
You've learned these biblical, you went to marriage groups, you learn these biblical principles of marriage, and what happens is you'll change behavior. All right, I'll quit talking about him to my mom. All right, I'll quit tweeting about him vaguely, right? All right, I'll quit. But in your heart, you haven't actually changed. You just cleaned up your act. In your heart, your husband's an idiot every time he makes a mistake. In your heart, he's dumb. In your heart, he's obsessed with sex. Well, we did that two months ago. What are you, what are you a maniac? Right? We're only laughing because it hurts a little. Okay? But in your heart, you got a piece of truth that came from an earthly stream of wisdom. Looking and saying, God, would you root that out of me and replace it with a heavenly stream of wisdom? God, would you help me? Submitting to my husband is not surrendering my womanhood. It's loving my spouse the way that my Savior loves me. It's a completely different conversation. Lord, I, I, I know that it's not my body to do everything right and wrong. That's why I'm, I'm not for abortion. I'm not for all these kind of things. But when it comes to the bedroom, boy, I sure treat my body like it's mine. Even though the Bible, well, why would the Bible say that? God, why would you have me be that way? Would you give me heavenly wisdom, not just behavioral changes? And it's on these very, very core levels. And we could put example after example after example out. It's on these very, very core levels where I'm looking saying, God, I picked up information from a worldly stream. That became a truth that I believe and I've been executing it that way. Would you unplug it? Would you identify it? Would you root it out? And would you give me different information that becomes a godly truth that results in a godly life lived with wisdom? And we could go to your friends, we could go to your morality, we could go to your finances, you go to every part of your humanity. But that's, that's what we have to identify. And that's what, that's what I think we have to walk away with this weekend. God, would you show me where my life is governed by earthly wisdom. Would you show me how my life needs to be governed by godly wisdom? And, and God, would, would, you, I, would you define my life? Would you direct my life? Would you bring the solutions and the answers that help me move that way, right? And on the deepest of levels, allow God to have that freedom. All right, that's a lot to download. Woo! Oh boy, that's a lot to download. So let's do this. Why don't we um, take a few minutes while we're kind of out of the chaos of life and let's just be still and be quiet and why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. The band will take us into a time of focus and worship and ask God, if you're a follower of Christ, ask God to start revealing these things to you. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. If you're not a follower of Christ, think it through. Think through your need for God even, right? And just give the Lord some latitude in your life. Jesus, help us now. Holy Spirit, press into our heart now and help us to do this math, Lord, to see where wisdom comes from and to see the governance of our lives. Do that in a powerful and a supernatural way even now in your name, amen.